Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. While in these days of quiet desperation As I wander through the world in which I live I search everywhere for some new inspiration But it's more than cool reality can give Hello everybody and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z Well, 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 after 39 podcast episodes The 40th is the charm And finally brings us to a song off of Billy Joel's fifth studio album and masterpiece, The Stranger. We open up talking about The Stranger, ironically, with the ninth and final track entitled Everybody Has a Dream, which closes out one of the most successful and important albums in pop music history. Elon. Christopher Bonanos and his New York Magazine rankings out of 121 songs. Where does he put the final track on The Stranger, Everybody Has a Dream? Well, I don't think Bonanos would put any song on The Stranger near the bottom of the list because it's just such a great album. Even if this might be the weakest song on The Stranger, which it might be, it still is a great song. And so I'd say Bananos, maybe he doesn't like it a ton because it's a little bit self-indulgent. Maybe he's not into that. I'm going to say he sticks it at 74. Your first theory was better correct. He puts it at 45. Okay, so he's thinking not anything above 50 for this album. Clearly. and uh, Well, as far as I know, maybe maybe he threw something else lower down on the list, but I don't know that yet. I, I'm with you in the sense, and I don't know his listing either. I haven't looked either. But I'm assuming you're right. Anything on The Stranger would be above 50. I don't see how even the lesser songs, which this is, could be above. Uh, this is actually, the weird part is it's four above Elvis Presley Boulevard. So, <laughs> that song weird. should have been on The Stranger. <laughs> if he only wrote it a few years earlier, it would have made it on there. So what he says is that Billy Joel says, get it right the first time is the weak link on this album, which I don't think you and I believe. But this is the song nobody remembers. Anthem anthemic anthemic. How do you pronounce that? Anthemic. Right. A little soft might benefit from a less dense arrangement with fewer layers. I actually uh, agree with that. But moving on to Glenn Gamboa from Newsday, he ranks it at 65 out of 124. He says, well, it doesn't matter what he says, but the fans rank it at 53. So they actually put it in the under. 50 category which again i was with you in the sense that i didn't think any fan or anything anybody would rank anything off the stranger below 50 yeah i mean just it's just such a masterpiece of an album it, it was hard to even think of like what could be the weakest song on this album but there's so many great songs that it ends up being either this or get it right the first time and it's probably this it probably is i think i love get it right the first time obviously we'll be talking about that shortly that's right pretty soon we're getting <laughs> a big a big bunch of stranger songs coming up so let's just, is there, I wasn't, I'm glad. Because, no, maybe not. Maybe it's just this and get it right the first time. Oh, and there's another gap. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking on top of my head now, but let's just say this. Let's just say this. The stranger, you and I are doing a Billy Joel podcast. 
Stranger is what everything, everything is based on, on all things Billy Joel. Stranger is, without anybody denying, a masterpiece, even if you don't like Billy Joel. Even the way uh, Julian Villard, our, our guest in the D's, was talking about the fact that if you, if you get away from trying to be cool and just say you like Billy Joel, I mean, nobody denies that The Stranger is a masterpiece. So, boy, what an ending for a masterpiece. Nothing, I don't love this song, but I love it in the fact if you were making a concept album, that this is the last song. It makes sense. It's big and beautiful and a perfect way to end the album. And then, of course, as we know, finish. then go to that extra mile. If you're first listening to it, and we're too old or too young, actually, even me, to pick it up and listen to it on a turntable the first time, but boy, can you imagine listening to this in a one piece if uh, if you're just introducing somebody to the stranger and you listen to the album as a whole and you hear this song at the end, wouldn't you be blown away? And then you add on the whistling at the very end and say, oh, my God. Wow. I get it. Yeah. Oh, totally. The way it bookends when it gets back into the stranger theme. And uh, yeah, I feel like you listen to the whole album, this big bombastic song. I think afterwards you'd be kind of like out of breath and be like, whoa, that was a great album. Yes. I think we both talked about how, oh no, maybe you didn't, but I, <laughs> I, I mean, it reminds me of watching the end of the office. Did you, did we talk about this or was that somebody no. else? Okay. So the, the, the original office, the original British one and everybody I've ever talked to, when you see the, it's only 12 episodes, you see the last one, the Christmas episode, you got to take a breath. You got to walk around the block. You got to say like, wow, because that's how good. I don't remember who I was talking to, about. it was on a podcast. It might've been on the comedy seller show. It's, it's that epic and good. You've been bought into this situation and it just blows you away. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the song, you know, at, in its form on The Stranger, it's a gospel song. And it wasn't originally that way. But Billy wrote this song six years earlier for Cold Spring Harbor and then eventually reworked it into this version, which totally fits on The Stranger. And this isn't the first time we've seen this in our list because with And So It Goes, which is the final song on Stormfront, that was a song he also wrote six years earlier and then saved it for the final song on a later album. And so we know from talking about Billy's thoughts about how this an album has to end with maybe a song that really in cases this is his last album ever that he wants that last song to really uh, be like a great song and so he cares about what the last song on an album is and uh, twice now he has sort of saved a song from earlier it's always been in his mind i guess and and waited for the perfect moment to put it out there as the last song on an album so as you probably know right he wrote it back and there is a version of the cold spring harbor version it's not that great which is probably why they kept it off. Uh, and the, he just changed the timing from what it was to from 4-4 four, four time to 6-8 time, which is, I have an example if you'd like to know. Yeah. And apparently this made all the difference. This is the original timing. And then he changed it to this. And for some reason, that made a, a gospel-like difference and <laughs> put it to this version. Now, did you hear, and I might actually play this version as, as a whole. I can't decide on this podcast because you can't find it anywhere. 
It's a live version from 1975 from the Great American Musical in San Francisco. And this is fantastic. I, I like this version better. I couldn't However, find that version. I couldn't find it. I looked for that version because I saw that it existed and I it was it wasn't working on YouTube. That's why I was thinking I might put it up for everybody, maybe at the end of the show. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, if you have a copy of it, I, I think we would all want to hear that. Yeah, I have a copy and uh, perhaps we'll end with that version today because it's great, but it's, it's, it's not like the other times where we've talked about I'd rather hear this version. The version that's on the album works in every way for the album so it can never be taken away but i really like this other version which is more of a really in between from the original cold spring harbor 1971 version to the album version and it's in between and again for me more piano more melodic a little bit less gospely so i just really like it but you cannot take away from the brilliance of putting this at the end of the stranger yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, I've listened to, there's a few different versions. Now, I haven't heard that one. Uh, the story behind that one is interesting, actually. It was when, when they were getting ready to record Turnstiles, Billy's manager wanted to use studio musicians, as they always do during his career, use studio musicians. He really wanted to use his touring band. And so they set up this like live recording session at, at, um, in San Francisco to show like what his touring band could do in a, in a live setting. And uh, I guess some recordings from that exist. For example, so, that song. What are you saying? That he had to like prove to his recording company that he could do it? I mean, that's so sad when you think about the people at Columbia suck because remember they after turnstiles, they wanted to drop them. And he's like, well, let me just do one more. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's the thing. It's throughout his career, this has happened. In 1973, George Martin, the Beatles' amazing producer, wanted to work with Billy Joel. But Billy Joel said, I want to use my musicians. And George Martin said, you have to use studio musicians. And so that never materialized, which imagine that like a, a Billy Joel album produced by George Martin, like how cool that would have been. And then this happened again with Turnstiles. And then he even uh, he did work with studio musicians. He worked with Elton John's band in the Caribou Ranch which was a session produced by uh, the producer for Chicago. And they recorded the whole album, basically, including Everybody Has a Dream. And there's a version of that from Caribou Ranch that exists. And then after that, Billy just didn't like it. He fired the manager and or the producer and went back to New York and produced Turnstiles himself with his band. And then that's eventually what you know came out. Yeah. And then, yeah, the Billy Joel band, he really liked that band and they did all those albums together and then he got rid of them. And they're all angry. And apparently they tour on their own now without with a fake Billy Joel. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think he lost them. I guess he used them all the way into River of Dreams. And then everybody, he just didn't didn't use them on River of Dreams. And we got that new producer, the Danny Kochmer, whatever, and used the studio musicians. They got so angry that they, Richie Canada and Liberty and I guess those other guys, they I think they tour now without Billy. Well, I would go see them. I, I mean, to hear them playing the songs with some other singer would still be pretty cool. Well, that's what Julian said. Julian Villard, who was our guest. Not He didn't say it on our podcast, but he had told me once before. And I didn't know that was the case. But yeah, uh, interesting that that's how he built his career. He clearly knew what he was doing and he just kept getting shit on by everybody, managers, the record company, and this is why he doesn't record anymore. And you can blame the horrible music business that's in the toilet after 
you know, well, the internet came over and they deserve everything they got because they just, they're horrible to artists and they ruined a lot of people. And I, I, we've talked about it before. I think of George Michael and I think of Prince and there's probably so many other examples of people that could have just kept producing wonderful music, if not being stifled by the stupid rep- record company. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky we got as much as we did out of Billy Joel before he just gave up on the whole thing. Yeah, and then he's I've, still around playing music and didn't just end it back in the 90s. Yeah, because now he can do whatever he wants. But, you know, even a band like Boston, which they had that amazing first album, and then they were forcing, what's his name? Tom, Tom Scholz or something. Yeah. yeah. They were forcing him to come out with a new album, and it took three years for him to come out with a second album, which was actually just as kick-ass as the first one, but they were, you know, you can't blame them in a way. Every artist should be coming out with an album a year, and it is bad to take three years, but again, when you stifle artistry, you're screwing yourself. Right, but it's also like what um, when we had Sarah Silverman on, she mentioned that having a box to work out of, it, it does help sometimes to have some structure that, that helps. Uh, otherwise, your ideas are all over the place, but to to have some someone kind of tell you like these are the rules, this is what you have to work within, that can sometimes help direct an artist and and uh, really help them make something great. Like the stranger, you know, Phil Ramone came and really organized Billy's thoughts very well because Turnstiles obviously didn't exactly work commercially. I mean, now we know it's a great, great album, but the fans at the time didn't like it, and then no, the stranger so blew up. So fascinating, so fascinating. The record company's ready to drop them at turnstiles. He's like, Well, I think I got one more in me. That's the way I like to think about the way it works. <laughs> Wait, where did he find Phil Ramone? Do you know? Uh, he was one of the lead singers in the Ramones. Now, wait a second, Elon. I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> he was replaced by Joey Ramone. Everyone knows the story. <laughs> now, do you know anything about how they got together? Like who introduced him or anything? No, I don't know the story. Changed his whole career. I don't know either. We'll have to. Uh, Check that out for next. We'll get time, back sure. to that for the next. Uh, I guess when, when we do uh, get it right the first time, we'll talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Or the uh, ease wrap up. Perhaps we'll find out that information. That's right. We can do it there. Music. I mean, where where do you know an album where a guy puts his manager on the cover of the album? The back cover. But right. yeah, very rare. I don't think you're ever going to find that, honestly. And, you know, until we were doing the song, had no idea it was him. You thought it was another one of the bandmates. I did. Well, yeah, because they, they're all schlubby guys. Not, this isn't like a cool looking band. Billy Joel just works with guys who he likes, not like guys who look like cool rock stars. Yeah, it's not like uh, David Lee Roth's band after he left Van Halen, where he's like, no, I only need good looking guys. And they have to be single. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he was never heard from again. Now, that's funny. Uh, there, you know, there's a couple of people who cover the song and they keep, seem to keep doing it on American Idol and it just <laughs> doesn't work. At all. <laughs> you see that kid on thing. Indonesian Idol? No, I did not see that. There's one. a little girl who does it from Indonesian Idol. And it's just, it's actually a shitty song <laughs> to do on American Idol. It doesn't fit. And uh, so tell me, has he ever played it live? Yeah, actually, uh, there's three times that he's played it live that we know of. And that's not including the 1975 performance that you have uh, audio from. That, I guess, is a fourth performance, but that's not on setlist.fm. But the three times that they have listed are twice in 1991 out in the Hamptons. He played it at some benefit shows and then once in 1998. And on the 1991 audio, he does mention, he's like, this is the first time I've played this live. So he doesn't even remember probably that 75 performance. Right. So the, the thing is, Elon, what you're saying is 
he doesn't perform it live. So, I mean, that's what yeah. you're saying. He's performed it three times for a benefit and something else. And in that 1991 live performance, when he said he'd never done it before, after you hear it, then you know why. It doesn't work. It's hard to explain why it doesn't work but live. But it's certain, you know, it really doesn't. And it would be a bad song, ironically, to end a, con a live concert with. It wouldn't, it would not leave you feeling good after seeing a Billy Joel concert. But where it works is at the very end of The Stranger in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it, it's timeless in that one form, basically. If you went to the earlier form, you know, like you have the 75 version, the 1971 version, when it sounded kind of like a James Taylor kind of song, it, it feels kind of dated. And I kind of like in the 71 version, I like the way the verses go. It's kind of, it's a little bit faster, you know, but the chorus is really just blah. It works as a gospel thing to keep repeating the phrase, everybody has a dream. But when it's just kind of like him singing straightforward, you're like, it seems like a broken record. Yeah. And that's why you have to look at these American Idol people who would want to cover this song that, you know, it's the stranger. It's like a hundred other songs. I don't know why I said a hundred. There's eight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, there's just so much. If you're allowed to use the Billy Joel catalog, unless those songs weren't in the catalog, because American Idol has, you know, a strict, here's what you can use and just assume they have the Billy Joel catalog open. I would not pick Everybody Has a Dream, especially if I was a little kid who has no idea what they're doing anyway. Who would suggest that? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like we saw already. So David Archuleta sang And So It Goes, another like obscure kind of song. And now Je Jessica Sanchez in season 11 sang this song. Um, and maybe it's because she's like an R&B singer. And they were like, well, this is kind of like an R&B sort of song that you could work with here. And she sings it kind of like Whitney Houston. It's a good version, but it's also like why it's Billy Joel week. You got fans voting to save your life on the show. Why not use a hit? Why are you using some obs obscure song? Exactly. And both of them came in second in their seasons. If they had used hits, they would have won the show. Really? Jessica Sanchez came in second? Yeah, she came in second. Oh, that was many weeks after that. This was a top 10 thing. It was Billy Joel week. And what's interesting about Billy Joel week on season 11 is the guest uh, mentor was P. Diddy. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's his fault. Maybe he was like, you should do this song. This is a really cool song. What other Billy Joel's? I, I think I had left. I finished on season 10. I was done. Uh, what other Billy Joel songs did they do that season on Billy Joel week? And, okay, so here's the and I wonder if his entire catalog is open or if he's only suggesting the worst songs that no one wants to do. No, a lot of other people. Well, not. OK, it's a mixture of hits and obscure stuff. So this is what was done. Uh, only the good die young. New York state of mind. That person got eliminated. They must have really been bad. Really? Jesus. Yeah, that seems like the. I was just going to say perfect. Right. Um, someone did She's Got Away, so kind of a hit, but mostly not very known. One person did Shameless. I'm guessing that was a country singer. Of course it was. Right? They're doing the Garth Brooks version. Someone did Vienna. Smart. Smart, but also only fans know it, not American Idol fans. So that was also kind of risky. Yeah, the guy who won the season, Philip Phillips. So Philip Phillips did Moving Out. Wait a minute. I saw that season. Philip Phillips, I know he won. So I must have seen that season then, I guess. I thought I, I was off. I, I I don't know how I don't. I guess that's how much the Billy Joel week underwhelmed me. <laughs> that I think they were. It was almost blasphemy. And I guess I forgot because I remember seeing that season and I couldn't believe that idiot won. Turned out he actually had a very popular song during one of the Olympics that year. 
Mm-hmm. The next year, he had you know, one of his, it was like, uh, it's a, oh, 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 That was him? Yeah, that was him. Oh, they play that all the time. That's good for him. I, yeah. Well, I don't know whether he wrote it, but he sang it. And uh, <laughs> exactly. You don't hear a lot of hits besides Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood. Uh, unbelievable yeah. that this guy had a hit because nobody remembers Philip Phillips except for his hilarious name. Wow. So how do you and he did moving out? That's a stupid song to do in American Idol. I don't know why. Unless you're me. Yeah, I guess he wanted to show his hard edge or something. You really got to be from Jersey or New York to do that song. And none of those kids. Uh, I, it doesn't make any sense to do. But well, it worked. He was safe and he eventually won. And then uh, the other songs that they sang were uh, someone did Honesty. Someone did My Life. Jessica Sanchez did Everybody Has a Dream. And then someone did Piano Man, which is also a strange choice. Well, except for the notoriety of it. Well, they also got to play their instruments. So I guess if you're sitting at the piano playing Piano Man, then maybe it makes sense. Okay, yeah. Maybe maybe this guy was a piano player. And you have to cut it out, too. You have to cut it down. You know, it's only yeah, like two minutes long, maybe. Yeah. What's interesting is that besides Piano Man, the three hits that we're saying on this week, Only the Good Die Young, New York State of Mind and My Life. Well, three of the biggest hits. Moving Out's obviously a big hit. But those three, all of those three people went ended up in the bottom three. <laughs> so maybe it's because it was such well-known songs, the audience knew, like, this is not a good version of it. Good point. And so, so doing a, an obscure song like Vienna probably was good because people were just like, oh, this is a cool song. And they didn't really know what the original sounded like. Good point. Like, if you're singing something from Sting and you mess it up, which, of course, is exactly what happened in the Sting Broadway show, The Last Ship or something like that, the guy sang all this time, you know, want to sing Sting songs. And I'm like, this is awful because Sting now I I give anything if Sting was in this show, which, of course, he went into the show to single single handedly save the Broadway show. And then it was probably well, it still didn't work. But at least you hear sing Sting sing his songs. His voice is so special. Even yeah. a Broadway star can't pull it off. And then the show was just I was like, this is awful. So you're right. If you're familiar with the song, but I don't think any of the people that are voting, they're kids. They don't know Billy Joel's songs. They don't know how they're done. These are people that are voting are 15. Yeah. And I guess if you're 15, you really want to hear a version of Everybody Has a Dream. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Who wouldn't? But the best version of this song. uh, Did you hear the cover by the Manhattans? Yes, I did. I love that version. It's all right. No, it's great. Everyone should listen to it. The Manhattans do a sweet R&B version. It's, it was on their 1978 album, There's No Good and Goodbye. And they also used it as the final track of their album. So they knew. It's a great closer. You, you really shut down on this Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of our show. Do you have a stumper for me? Well, I have one, but it's been kind of ruined, so... Oh, shit. <laughs> I'll Is it about the Manhattans? Anyway. Yes. Where were the Manhattan band located? No, I'm just kidding. The, the... Well, Billy settled on Phil Ramone, you know, which turned out to be a good thing, but he wanted a different producer for the album originally. What was the album that he worked on, the original producer that he worked on that was the inspiration for The Stranger? Well, I don't get it. So the producer he wanted was originally working on some other album. He worked on a, another album 10 years previous. Uh, okay, so this so it's George Martin. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Sergeant Pepper. Yes, that's correct. Okay. 
It was still a good trivia. If you, honestly, if you didn't say I ruined the trivia question earlier, then I, I might not have guessed George Martin. Well, you didn't ruin it, and I could have changed it if I felt like it, but I still wanted to basically have you say Sergeant Pepper in the sense that this is Billy Sergeant Pepper. And to acknowledge the fact that he was obviously obsessed with that album as everyone was and everyone tries to emulate and they want their own Sergeant Pepper and Billy Joel, not only did he do it, but it made his career. You know how hard it is to make a Sergeant Pepper's album and then, but to really make a concept album, you can call it a concept album, but you got to do it. And the stranger did it. And when it just bookended the way we were saying with that song, The Stranger, like that, then you realize that's when you get it. When you're listening to this song, everybody has a dream. And then the whistling at the end, you really do get that it's a concept album. That is the exact moment where you're like, oh, my God, this really is a great concept and an amazing album. So that's why I wanted to talk about how important it is that he uh, was worshiping Sergeant Pepper. And then he actually made his own Sergeant Pepper. This is Billy Joel's Sergeant Pepper. And, you know, because uh, what do they say? Brian Wilson for Pet Sounds was supposed mm-hmm. to be, I guess, his Sergeant Pepper. I, I no, guess. well, it's the, it's the other way around. Pet oh, Sounds came out first. And then the Beatles were like, whoa, this is amazing. Oh, is, we oh, have is that to do what this it was? Kind of oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. I know they were competing with each other all the time. So, okay. Wow. Isn't that funny? How other artists, you know, inspire other artists. And I think it was a back and forth I, because I think that. Brian Wilson had heard Revolver or Rubber Soul and then said like, whoa, the Beatles are doing some amazing stuff. Then he went and did Pet Sounds and then Sgt. Pepper happened. So if they didn't have this little back and forth inspiring each other thing, uh, we wouldn't have had these great late 60s albums. But we know how much the Beatles inspired Billy Joel. So isn't it fascinating to be able to actually this was his plan all along from the beginning. You know, when he became Billy Joel, he's doing Cold Spring Harbor. He's like, well, my goal is to just, you know, I really want to make a Sergeant Peppers. And his management was probably like, shut up. Yeah, that's <laughs> clearly <pretty> ambitious. <laughs> yeah. It's like someone's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like, I want to be the, the president. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much what he's saying. And then he achieves it. And then the, the miracle of having a follow up to Sergeant Peppers that's just as good. <laughs> it's fucking unbelievable. Right. And then a couple albums later, he's doing Nylon Curtain, where he's really showing his Beatles influence in a lot of those songs. Because this is like Sgt. Pepper inspired, but it's not like it sounds like the Beatles at all. It's totally nope. just Billy Joel style. Nope. It's his way of doing a, a concept album. And he's like, I'm going to make my music, and but I'm going to put it in a cohesive structure, which is amazing. And even uh, what is he's from Italian restaurant being like a day in the life, you know, really. Yeah. Fascinating. What's your trivia question? All right. My trivia question is what Grammy nominated backing singer on this song sang various famous commercial jingles in the 80s and 90s? In the 80s and 90s. So she sang back up on this. She earlier in her career was Grammy nominated for Best New Artist. And then later she just became a commercial jingle singer. Well, first, I was going to say Barry Manilow, of course, but that was in the 70s. So and I and it's obviously a woman. So I don't know. So the woman is Phoebe Snow. Oh. Do you know her? Well, I do, but I don't know her as a commercial jingle singer. I mean, I know her as this very soulful gospel singer who, you know, was was amazing. Nice she Jewish lady from recently. New Jersey, actually. She what? She's a nice Jewish lady from New Jersey. She's from Teaneck. I thought she was black. No, but she has that voice, right? It's like it's a deep, soulful voice. Oh. 
But her story is, so she was nominated for a Grammy for Best New Artist in 1975. She had the hit song Poetry Man, which I listened to and I don't like. And then she had to step away from the music industry eventually because she had a severely disabled daughter that she had to take care for. So after that, she kind of just did a lot of these commercial jingles. And I'll, I'll name some of them. I'm sure you can picture these songs in your head. But she sang the uh, Cotton Fabric of Our Lives. Fabric of our lives. Nope. You don't remember that? <laughs> okay. Nope. She sang Coke Is It. It's a kick. It's a hit. It's a Coke. Coke Is It. Nope. Okay. She sang uh, from International Coffees, Celebrate the Moments of Your Life. Oh, actually, I, I do know that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Celebrate the moments of your life. But it doesn't sound like her, so. But it's her. Celebrate the moments of your life. And then she also did, um, I'm, I'm sure you'll know this one, from Stouffer's, Nothing Comes Closer to Home. Nothing Comes Closer to Home. Nope. Well, <laughs> you definitely know these. For someone who watches as much TV as you, and eats as much TV dinners as you. You definitely know the Stouffer's one. One would think. But the most important thing about her career, which you will appreciate, is she was once the recipient of the Don Kirshner Rock Award. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't even know there was one. <laughs> no one does. I just know the only reason I know her is from Howard Stern. She used to be on Howard Stern a lot. Oh, cool, cool. He she actually, she died. She died, unfortunately. Just recently. Uh, I think 10 years ago. But Oh, was fairly, it 10 years ago? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, too bad. she was 60 years old. I think it was 2011. She died. Yeah, she died rather young. Yeah. Here's a bonus trivia for you from another backing singer on this song. One of the other backing singers was Patty Austin. And what's interesting about her is that she was booked to be on United Flight 93 on September 11th. But because her mother suffered a stroke a few days earlier, she had to cancel her ticket. Oh, that is good. Love, love those kind of stories. Dodged a bullet. He's, sometimes strokes can be good. <laughs> Apparently. All right, so now it's time for the Weird Alon parody of the day. And our parody of Everybody Has a Dream is Everybody's Wearing Jeans. Oh, God. <laughs> and I notice everybody's wearing jeans. Everybody's wearing jeans. Everybody's wearing jeans and I'm in capris at school. I look like a fool. Everyone else is so cool except me. I have misplaced my pants. Well, that was pretty good. You redeemed yourself after that ridiculous start. <laughs> I, I thought you were just going to end with everybody's wearing jeans and just be like, that's it. And yeah, then, uh, I just do the outro where he says it like 48 times in a row. Right. That's what I thought you were starting with and then kind of waiting for the punchline and then you're in Capri. So it does work. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be tough. I don't want to sing this song. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a tough parody. My, other, my first thought was to do everybody's drinking cream, like cream soda. And then he, he wants root beer. That could have worked, too. Could have worked too, but I think Capri's is fun. All right. Yeah, it was. Well, folks, that was our first song off The Stranger. Everybody has a dream. 
keep listening till the end today because we're going to leave you with the rare 1975 version of Everybody Has a Dream that you can only hear on this podcast. If you like our podcast, be sure to leave us five stars and tell your friends. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Next episode is our first song from Cold Spring Harbor, Everybody Loves You Now. So make sure you check out that episode to hear Dave's reaction to hearing a song from that album for the first time. Can't believe it, Dave. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Have you also heard the cover on Indonesian Idol? Do you like the earlier James Taylor-esque versions of the song or the Stranger version? And do you feel like we do that this was a perfect way to end the album? Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. This is a Billy Joel A to Z exclusive. In those days of quiet desperation As I wander through the world in which I live I search everywhere for some new inspiration And it's more than cold reality can give If I need a cause for celebration Or a comfort I can use to ease my mind I rely on my imagination And I dream of an imaginary time my dream my own just to be at home and to be all alone with you if I believe in all the words I'm saying and if a word from you can bring a better day all I have are these games that I've been playing To keep my hope from crumbling away So let me lie and let me go on sleeping And I will lose myself in palaces of sand And all the fantasies that I will be keeping Will make these empty hours easier to stand
high and let me go on sleeping And now I'll lose myself in palaces of sand And all the fantasies that I will be keeping Will make these empty hours easier to stand And this is my dream, my own. 